Welcome to Average Joe Meets the UK's Everyday Entrepreneurs, where we talk to all kinds of business owners across the country about how they got started and what it's really like to run their business, so that we can learn and be inspired to start something of our own. This episode's guest, Oliver Mead, runs Craft Metropolis, a fiercely independent craft beer retailer that sells online at its beautiful website, craftmetropolis.co.uk, and in its two bottle shops, Come Tap Rooms, in Penge High Street and in Brixton next to Loughborough Junction. The Brixton spot, called The Arch, also doubles up as an event space you can rent out for parties. There's a small but dedicated team at Craft Metropolis and they absolutely love sourcing and supplying the best craft beer in London and across the UK and the world. Ollie has always had a passion for craft beer, but what happens when you turn your hobby into your business? Let's find out. Hi Ollie. Hi Joe. how are you? All right? I'm good, thank good. you. Good. Thank you for taking the time to come here in person. Not all, absolute pleasure. Um, so, beer, uh, mm. oldest oldest drink in, or oldest alcoholic drink in the world, apparently. This, this is right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Third most popular after water and tea. I didn't realise this. <laughs> They're my top three. Are they your top yeah, three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not in that order. No, no. <laughs> um, what what actually classes as beer? Just to just to tell us the listeners, and why do you think it's so popular? Just to well, yeah, like you say, it's an age old drink, uh, and it's basically and the way it's classed is how you ferment the ingredients. And, you know, you don't distill it like gin, it's brewed, boiled, and let, let to go off, <laughs> which is delicious. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so popular because of, of many things. Because A, I think it's founded in the age-old tradition that people like booze. <laughs> yeah. But more so than that, it seems like a silly and rather throwaway thing to say, but the age-old um, um, thing of sitting with someone having a drink, passing some time, whether it be tea or beer, but beer has the added bonus that it's got this lovely thing called alcohol in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and through centuries and centuries, people have always found a way of socialising. Um, now, that is the base level. Um, and what's happened recently, especially with craft beer, is that you don't just go for units of alcohol for something to do for a social thing, or you drink it while you're watching the football at home, or your favourite soap, or whatever it may be. It's become... A hobby, an interest, because of the how diverse and how interesting the beer scene in the craft beer world has become. You don't just go in and have your usual landlord. Yeah. You know how high yeah, two pints of Foster's please. Um, it's about innovation, about trying new things, supporting local businesses, and like I say, it, it's got this beautiful kind of extra angle to it that is, you're able to support small businesses, but you're also able to get into a bit of a hobby, uh, which is what hops is made with. Um, what the latest you know artwork is on the label mm-hmm. um, whether it's limited edition all these things uh, all wrapped up in this lovely beery kind of coat um, so the, to answer your question a long long way around is that it's always been steeped in history especially in the UK because we love beer but now there's this added bonus that there's all these different variants and styles and things that you can get into and try out and it's not boring it can't be boring because innovation's constantly there yeah so it, there's a, there's an element of art to it, and, and well, that was the first thing that got me really excited about the beer scene. Even back in like 2014, when I sat in a garden with my dad having a barbecue, and I said, "You should be able to buy this online." And a few people were doing it, one or two, and they were bottles back then, not the cans you see now. But what instantly turned me on to it 
was the artwork. I come from a graphic design background when I was a, a, a young lad. And you, you looked at these kind of garish, weird, exciting kind of labels. And it's true what they say. You, you shop with your eyes. You looked at this and you're like, wow. So it was almost like a piece of artwork on every bottle, as it were, back then. Or can now. And you couldn't help but go, what is going on inside that bottle if that's on the outside? It didn't just have the name, like, oh, Peculiar or whatever or whatever on the outside. It had this kind of, it might have had a monster or it might be just all blue with a dot. Whatever it was, it was like instantly it grabbed you. And then you were like, right, this isn't the norm. What is this? And inside often was, you know, fully representative of what was on the outside. Interesting, different, exciting. So, yeah, that was definitely the first thing that got me into it. So you said about you having a beer in the garden with your dad, yeah. and that's so. What was what were you doing before? Um, I was a TV, it... yeah, a TV producer working in sport mainly. Yeah. But I mean, I was freelance, so I had my own company. But it was never truly working for yourself. Yeah. Um, and what I really always always wanted to do was to explore working for myself with my own company. But it's so so important that you do something that you're interested in. It's such a cliche, but if you're not into or driven by the product that you're representing or selling or supplying, then you're lost. You know, it's um, it's okay, maybe the money's coming in, but if you wake up one morning and say, well, my rubber, you know, balloon factory is not turning over what it used to. I mean, who's really into balloons? Yeah. <laughs> Some people are, fine. But it needs to be something, I think, personally, just my point of view, that you've, you, you're driven by because you are part of it it's your hobby it's your thing I think it must make the hours of work a lot easier absolutely I mean you're not just staring at some some kind of bland nothing product that you you don't care about certainly not in my case I had to if I was to do anything do something that I was already fascinated by you know when you thought I always thought I would run my business which is what Mm. I think Mm. yeah what I guess when you distill it down what did you think Mm. was going to the benefit of that did you think of freedom or no I thought about the care because I remember going into work various freelance outfits and thinking being told something that I didn't agree with or being asked to do something that wasn't reasonable I was taking taking the mickey and you thought I could just do without this what if it was me that made the decision what if it was me that set the hours as long or short as they may be what if it was me that was able to drive what we were doing each and every day which it comes with its own problems don't get me wrong but it was it was definitely part of me wanting to freedom's wrong because you always know that it's going to be a longer and harder slog than working for someone holidays your time etc but being able to relate and being able to be personally involved with what you're doing was the thing that probably drove me like imagine waking up and you decide what am I working beer what beers to buy how much to sell them for how to make them more appealing whether to do a sale whether to be able to create a buzz about them how many to buy how to tell people about them how to how to just like break down the feedback that it was either good bad and different too expensive too cheap and going back to the labels you know were people attracted to them or not do they sit around and why so all those things maybe in in a very kind of fuzzy bundle in my head made sense that this would be what I wanted to do and how um, it would be better working for myself but yeah maybe just looking at everything as, as a whole the money you make good or bad would be would be all about you the decisions would be all about you and doing something you really love would be all about what you like so those main three things were probably the ones I thought right well if I could do that then it would be better than doing this 
Um, and then did, did the love of beer come first and then the idea of the, <laughs> the yeah. idea of Yeah, I mean, it's beer. a bit of a cliche, but I like beer, you know. <laughs> and I say that when we do have a, ever have like a music nights in the arts. Oh, and I stand up and say, oh, you're here because of music. I'm here because of beer. And everyone has a laugh. Um, but it was, yeah, I mean, it's a cliche, but I mean, I just like that. I like beer. So um, were you looking, I want to start a business? No. No, it wasn't. The beer drove it. The beer drove it, yeah. yeah. I'd never really been as excited or into anything um, other than sport. And I was very, very fortunate that I worked in sport television. So, it, again, it, it was probably the thing that drove me for longer, working uh, in that sector, just because I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I still do. But, scarily, what happened was it become mundane and it become a job. And I think I'm glad I got out because my love of my football was my main sport. And I was cutting montages and like I saw jaded people around me and I started to feel a bit jaded. And I was like, I'm just falling out of love with the job, but the sport as well. And it was a little bit scary. You can, you know, that can be arrested and changed. <laughs> but it was a bit like, mm, what if I become like a 60 year old guy that's just dragging his ass around and going, oh God, not this again. And I didn't want that to be the case. So that was one of the, the driving factors to, to change. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was, I was never wanting to be a business person or to have my own business particularly, even though I guess most people maybe not have this like fanciful idea in their head that they'll do something one day or they've got an idea. Or, but it was when that came along, I was like, wow, this is I'm something I'm so into. Could I make a living out of this? Could I get involved in this? And if so, how? And and that 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 process and that journey. You said you were talking to your dad at one time. How, how did that all? Well, we yeah, sat around a barbecue, and, I, and going back, I said, Look, these, these, "There's no way you can really get this. I don't see it in the." What was it? Was it like a special? I, special I don't remember. It was, I I think I had bought six or twelve bottles of beer from craftbeerbottles.com.shop, something a terrible, like clunky website, and. I was thinking that there's just not enough way of getting to this. And people like me and my friends would say, oh, we should sit around and try these beers together. And, and there was no real route to market, particularly for it back then. Um, and look at it now, it's changed so dramatically. But it, I, I thought, well, maybe that, that could be what I do. You know, I didn't really think I'd have a bar or a shop. It'd be more of an online thing because I saw that there was no one really doing it. Yeah. And we, yeah, we sat around the barbecue and said, Dad look at these labels, taste this beer, it's so much better than you get in pubs, general, normal pubs, or anything you can see in a shop, or is available online. So could I do this in a different way and make it appealing? And that was just the beginning of the the kind of idea, and off off we went from there. So who was we, and and how did you... Well, Dad helped me in the beginning, just because he's a graphic designer, he's retired now by trade, so the website, he was like, right... I know some guys, they work with me. I can start knocking up some ideas, templates, like mood board of the, you know, what the, what the website and the logo should look like. And it kind of holds steady today that it's still there and a lot of the infrastructure of that that we built in 2014 and then launched in 15 is still part of it. And I still stand by it. I think it's like quite a cool website. It's certainly different to anything out there. At the time, it was all like bright, white, pastel stuff, lots of like images of people clinking glasses uh, that were stolen off the internet um and yeah so me and my dad sat down and started looking at uh, that and then I spoke to the guys that worked with him on the web team that he'd worked with in freelance capacity mainly for branding things that he does 
And um, that was it. That's the we, and then it become the men, it became I. Because dad went right off you go, and I don't know anything about this yeah. internet malarkey. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna relax. And yeah, enjoy. I've done my bit, and uh, no, he's he's been he's been really supportive all these years. Um, for, and then uh, you had to get the supply side for the. Yeah, online. all terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Um, and massively different to what you your life before as well. Learning, learning on the job, massive mistakes. And obviously, you had to. Not quick because you were freelance, but you had to sort. That of, was the beauty. Well, did you have to sort of save up a bit of, uh, you know, well, save up a bit so that you could? I was in a fortunate position where I had a tiny bit of cash in the bank, mm-hmm. which bankrolled the initial outlay. Yeah. Down to pretty much nothing. It wasn't a huge amount, you know, a few grand just to get a website up and running and a little bit of stock. But the wonderful thing was the only reason I ever contemplated this was that I had this wonderful position where. I could work freelance. Mm-hmm. I told myself I'd work a little bit less freelance, oh, I see, and then yeah. I'd work this this round it, and it would obviously in a few months take off. It took a lot longer, and I worked basically as many hours as I used to work as a freelance TV producer while doing this. <laughs> I'd wake up in the morning, and I would go and box up the orders for the day at seven a.m. Go to work at ten, work a day till ten, come back, typing away on a computer, and repeat the process. And they were the really, really hard yards. Yeah. I mean, I I thought within six months it would have taken off because we were a subscription model and a London-based specialist at the beginning. And it really never... Re- that part of it and that, that way of, of looking at the website never really took off, if I'm honest. Uh, it took years, a couple of years of slogging away and basically doing it for free and, and sub, subbing the beer model with the wages that I, that were coming in from my... But I was very flexible. I could say no to Thursday work mm-hmm. if I had to. I tried not to. But, yeah, it was... I would I would basically work 10 to 12 hours days, nearly every day a week, and then fit this beer thing in around it, hoping that, that it would slowly transition over. It took a long, long time. you didn't have children at this point? No, no I did okay. not. Yeah. I definitely don't think it would have survived if I had. It's too much. No, but I think this is a good story because this is, I think, how mm. a lot of people start is you have to yeah. get, you have to keep supporting yourself somehow. Yeah. So that freelance model of just yeah. toning that, well, you didn't tone it down. A bit. No, no. <laughs> or, or, yeah. At least knowing that that might be an option was. Yeah. It might have helped you most in your with your motivation on your freelance jobs. That you yeah. Know, just having that other option, it yeah. might come off. Yeah. I'm doing it, this. Indeed, it kept it kept the spark alive. You know. That, that my business would be the one that would eventually take over. But yeah, it, I was a really posi- a really fortunate position that I could be ultra flexible and not really give up a job to start a job. But as I've said, it became two jobs. And um, yeah, it, it, it was really, really, really hard. Um, to the point, yeah, where, I mean, we had... Uh, Without being too negative, you know, you question relationships and you question your sanity. And I'm not, it's not a throwaway comment that I was like, I was breaking point numerous times with like stress and worry and like imposter syndrome. What the hell am I doing? What I'm, do I, do I even, why have I done this? Why have I done this to the people around me and committed all this time and energy? And I don't even know, I've never done a business degree, I haven't, I've never like swim in these circles what am I doing what do I even know about beer people would say things about saisons and different yeast strains and I'd be like I need to learn that like ASAP because I don't know what the heck that is and it's clearly a thing <laughs> but yeah um, fortunate I mean I don't know I'll just be honest here, I don't know if I would have quit a proper job proper in inverted commas to start this 
I think the only way it was viable was because of the, the way that my other job, freelance, was. So what what kept the momentum going then in those moments where you were... Absolute bloody stubbornness. Okay, so you just didn't want to say it had failed. <laughs> no, and, and the fact that I did have this like moderate income coming in and I hadn't given it up. Um, yeah, just, just really, really not wanting to admit defeat not wanting to step away from something that I thought was the one thing I could get into, you know? If you ask me now what else would I want to do as a job, I don't know, I wouldn't have a clue. So that's the answer is no. It's like, I want to get a tattoo. Well, what of? If if that's the question, that shouldn't be a question. And it was the same with the business. It was like, if you give up this and wanted to do another business, what would it be? Well, nothing, because there isn't one. So that's what kept me going, like, I really want to do that. I still do. And things aren't like plain sailing now, but Christ, I'm like, I'm in there now, you know. And it's still the only thing, yeah, yeah, yes, anything I'd want to do, yeah. So um, at that point in time, was that sort of 2016, 2017? There's a mm-hmm. couple of years of running that online mm-hmm. model, subscription yeah. model, mm-hmm. um, but you're still freelancing. Mm-hmm. How, how did you sort of move towards premises and. Yeah. Well, it, and and quitting this. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, okay. So, the the kind of potted history of that is a quite. There's quite a lot of information. So strap in. Here we go. So, um, it hadn't worked. I was just funding it, and I was fortunate enough to be able to sub it by a grand or two here and there. Um, but I still thought it could work. Now, what I'd done is I'd tried to be a London specialist, and at the time when it launched, I think that was still a good idea. But by 2017, it probably was panning out that it was either too niche or the I wasn't able to fund the marketing and the kind of loss that something like this set startup needed. Secondly, it was trying to be. I was trying to be a really good subscription club. I used to get tired of the brush of other ones that was stack them high, sell them cheap, do deals, do out-of-date stuff, do short-dated stuff, squeeze breweries for like pennies and pennies just to get down to small margins. But I wasn't trying to do that. I was trying to kind of foolishly, and I, I do say foolishly because looking back it was, give people better beer for the same price because you had to compete in that and you're competing in, a, in that in that world. And you, you, you're then with customers who are like, well, I could get this for whatever, for pound cheaper a can. I was like, yeah, but this is better stuff. Oh, well, so a, you're swimming in a different pond, you know, in terms of customer base. And in terms of understanding, and it, that, this, I was I was trying to say, but this is good stuff, yeah. and that's why you pay a little bit more, or you're paying the same, but you're getting a better product. And after banging my head against the wall for a couple of years, um, it, it was clear that that wasn't quite working. So, very fortunately, um, I was approached by a competitor, and they said, look, we we want to buy out that, that side of the business, just subscriptions. And at the time, it was a godsend. Um, because I kind of felt that it wasn't working. I wanted to switch to a one-off, simple web store. You buy, you get. No subscription, no cancelling, no rollovers, no changing monthly, and putting products on there that were just, it's four quid, not it's bundled into a price. And there's no introductory offer. There's no free month. There's no half price. Right. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was enough to make me think, well, I was thinking of maybe hopefully doing this anyway. And it was bought out. Um, I mean, that sounds like a pretty good achievement. If, yeah, if, it, I mean, 
it's being bought out sounds very glamorous and and like there's a lot of money it was a small amount of cash which was basically better than nothing because I was maybe going to do it myself anyway um and but then the 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 kind of reins were off you know the, the 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 handcuffs were released and it meant that suddenly I wasn't trying to attract a certain type of customer I was just in a more beery world and I'd become more able to just say look this is what we do we buy this beer if you want it you want it if you don't you don't this is the price off we go yeah. and it just felt liberating yeah interesting and, yeah, yeah. And it really gave the the, the business a, dip, a different angle but with the same product and something that people were I mean I'd introduced something called a premium add-on so I was like but I really want this beer but it's going to cost me a pound a unit more so I'm basically going to give it away and then people going but why is it an extra pound I've paid for my subscription why is it extra I was like because it's a better beer yeah. and then all of a sudden I was like it's four quid. Take it or leave it. Yeah. yeah. So less, it, it's less um, stable because you, you can't get that mm-hmm. monthly revenue that you know you were going to get, but then they True. could just cancel that anyway. Yeah. So, and that monthly revenue was based on such a small margin Yeah. Um, because of the model, because of what I was trying to do. And I was just thinking, well, I've got to make this work. Yeah. And yeah, we were making like a couple of quid a box or something. I was like, well, I've got to be selling thousands of these. I'm selling hundreds. It's not good enough. And so that was a real kind of, like, like I say, a real turning point for that yeah. uh, for the business yeah and then that was just an online beer shop mm-hmm. where you did all the hard work of sourcing yeah. the beer yeah and then how did you get your premises well penge is um very dear to me you know i'm i'm from yorkshire as you might be out here but um i'm 11 years now a pengeite <laughs> or a pengian or whatever you want to call it a penguin um and um it just seemed like a logical step. Um, it was, again, a really bad business um, kind of advice. But the online w- wasn't working, but I saw an out. I was like, what if the beer that I can't move because it's excess stock? What about all this knowledge I've gained from knowing about these beers and pricing and trends and the contacts I had with breweries? What if I could kind of translate that over to a physical shop? And at the time, a local friend of mine who deals in property said, you know, there's something going at the end of your road. <laughs> and I was like, well, anywhere else wouldn't make sense, but this does. Because it could kind of be your work from, it could be your office. It was an office. It was a way of moving stock on. It was a way of um, being able to have at my own place rather than kind of, gypsying around which I was a little bit I was popping up here I was renting for a year there six months I used a storage facility to get going etc and I just saw the other revenue stream and I, I then sat down with another local business person who worked in the same sector I'm sure they won't mind me saying from Gypsy Hill the Gypsy Hill Brewing and he explained how their small micro bar the Douglas Fir worked the turnover, the the amount of taps they had, and all the inside, the little bits and bobs of another side of another business that I knew nothing about. And, so, and why did yeah. they do that? I mean, why did they tell you that? Did they just out? We bought beer from them, other. and they're good people. Oh, okay, yeah. And we had a good relationship, and I, I guess from their side of it, being bloody minded, they probably saw a, a possibility that we would continue a good working relationship, and they would have some kind of presence in that bar. It wasn't the deal, it was never discussed. It was simply like, it just makes sense. If you're a nice person, you're in business, you're already selling to someone, help them out. Um, 
Yeah, I, I guess that they just wanted to help another like-minded business. So they gave you a good insight into sort of what yeah. happens if you get premises and all yeah. the all the things that, that I didn't know about again, like learning a website, the back end of like WooCommerce, uh, how you know different pages work, how you know products work, all on that kind of the, the, the ether that is you know the internet. Yeah, I suddenly then had to unpack a load more information about dispensing draft, how much it costs cleaning. You know all the property. All, the, all the property, but it was um it was a a good rate. It was in a good location. I thought it would work, and I, again, like I say, I thought it would be able to flex the business in a way that would help me have a, a space of my own, move stock, attract people, expand the, the awareness of the brand, have add another. You know, we were buying cans and bottles, and suddenly we could buy kegs, and it gave us more buying power, gave us a better relationship with the breweries. Uh, and it just seemed really logical. But again, another big and, and scary outlay of cash in a big, scary like world where I've got to start learning and, and employing and dividing and managing my time and resources somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of a few months before lockdown. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, right. So it took a while and eventually then, you know, lockdown happened. <clears throat> Three months or so after we opened the bar after a long slog. Again, I was building brick walls myself, laying tiles, nailing wood to the wall. Now, I did, the only thing I say I didn't do was the grown-up stuff, so electric and water. But everything else in the bar in Penge is pretty much built by hand. And is this a sort of YouTubing everything? Yeah. Yeah. I'm quite handy. Yeah. But, yeah, when it comes to turning off things, yeah, yeah it, and then sourcing it. It was so much cheaper. Hey, how much to panel a wall? Five grand. How much to buy myself a grand? Two days' work. Turn into a week. Save three grand, you know? Um all those little things you've got to do. Um, but, yeah. Did I, you do that all in lockdown then? The sort of it was just before. Oh, just the, before. The year... Oh, so yeah. you did all the renovations when... And then it hit. So, again, kind of real kind of bad lump of luck again. But we were able to flex and turn it into a takeaway. And everyone goes, oh, you must have done great. You know, there were moments where you couldn't be open, but you must have done great. And, yeah. Lockdown for takeaway beers and online, which the, the the website now was just a solely online, was really, really strong. But with that came like the closure of a bar. So we had issues with staffing. Mm-hmm. We had issues with, you know, PPE and, and making the place safe and the, un, the, the unknowing and being making sure things were as, as safe as it could be. And the, the margins on takeaway beer are very small compared to, draft so yeah we did all right but it, the flat the other side of it is that there were mo- the, as much time as it was doing well we had time and it didn't so it basically leveled out yeah um were you working full-time by this stage or still doing yeah no I was full-time yeah. yeah yeah so I'd, I'd managed to get to a point where even though the my wage was significantly less than if I was working even mildly as a, it was enough to just about support me being alive. <laughs> um, and yeah, and there were, so there were great times in terms of, of good weeks in lockdown where people wanted beer delivered, people wanted to come and take it away. Yeah. And But the, again, like all the points, the negatives I brought up, on top of that now, I'm still in a position, however long on we are now, where... There's no way of looking back and looking at figures because everything's skewed, everything's wrong, everything's upside down, everything has a little asterisk next to it. Pandemic, yeah. Pandemic. I 
then opened the second branch in Brixton because we needed a bigger warehouse. But I could add an ancillary bar to that. And I planned for 40% turnover of peak um, pandemic, yeah. thinking it might be 30. It's actually dropped to 20. Right. So you can see the problems. And, and that's a lot to do with kind of cost of living crisis. And it is like now, that. but back when, after COVID, it is now, yeah, I mean, just lots of things. Yeah, the war in Ukraine, the price of petrol, the I mean, the war started everything and then coupled with Brexit and and then doubled with, you know, um, the cost of living. There's been this horrible like knock-on effect. We effectively closed down the the world's economies for 18 months, two years. And it's only now that I think that's coming home to roost that the the, the whole eco-structure of everything... With it, I mean, I don't know anything outside of beer, really. But the war, Brexit cost of living and the knock-on effect of, of COVID. For example, let's take small examples. The cost grain, which you make the malt from the beer base, hops, which come from America, New Zealand, predominantly the exciting ones, gas, which either dispenses beer or is used in the production of beer, um, cardboard, petrol yeah. for drivers, delivery, cans, that the cans come in, printing costs, um, labour, um, I, I, I could go on we'd be here until I'd have to go to work all those overheads are either absorbed by us but, or at the stage previous from the breweries and it's just been a nightmare like for, take it for example the plastic kegs that some of the breweries use especially the smaller ones because they can't afford the metal ones or their own they come from Eastern Europe a lot of them came out of Ukraine I mean I don't know they cost 10-15 quid per unit well they did well they don't anymore there was a point for three, four months you just couldn't get them. So then everyone scrabbled over to the metal kegs, so the metal kegs went up in price. I mean, it's just... And now we're still paying those prices. And they're still having to push on the costs of all the production of the... Uh, you know, I, I say to people that, that don't really grasp it, but not, not in a negative way, just go, oh, why, why is beer going up? Even for a small brewery, imagine a kettle the size of your car. Imagine having 10 of those. Imagine boiling them all day. Just imagine the electric costs. Yeah. Imagine how much they've gone up. Now that's just one element. It's crazy. Yeah, isn't absolutely it? crackers. Um, so that's why. If you're a big corporation, these costs are there, but there's always ways around. There's always ways to absorb. Or you've got you're only making two billion profit instead of three. But for a tiny brewery that's the size of you know your shed, your garage, or if you're lucky, you know a warehouse, then these costs just suddenly add up, and it's. It has to get passed on. It's either passed on or they, they fail. And you've seen a, we've seen a lot of breweries fail in the last 12 months. And I still think the, the, the hangover from the economy closing and from the war and from Brexit, multiple factors are still going to be felt and it's still going to push harder and harder for the next 12, 4, 24, maybe longer months. You know, it's, it's yeah, scary. Yeah. So, so is your mindset right now to just survive and ride it out if we can, yeah. yeah. I spoke to a medium to large size brewery, a big player in this in the craft beer world, which isn't big in any kind of scheme of business, but he kind of looked me in the eye, the, the sales guy, and was like, the next 18 months, just get by. Yeah. So all we're going to do is just get by. Don't worry about making money. Don't worry about expanding. Don't worry about anything. Just, just survive. And it's terrifying, but it's basically, I look, 
back at him and I thought, yeah, well, if you're saying that, then eek, yeah, we've all got to do that. And, um, yeah, that, that's the feeling right now is if you can get through, hopefully. But that's the bloody, like, frustrating thing. We came off the back of, of COVID and it was, and again, the reason for opening the warehouse, the second bar, was that these should be the next five years should be the boom times, that you finally got your freedom back, you're allowed out. Yeah. Um, you, you've, you've found freedom from being restricted and look, look what you used to have. You could just go to the pub. Well, let's go back out. And again, I, 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 I built the second site on that idea that we would have a good few years and then maybe it would slow down. But it's been the absolute opposite, which is really horrible. Um, so yes, yeah, survival. Hope, hopefully, like the boom times coming, it's just not 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 yet. right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's really enlightening in terms mm. of just all the pressures and, and things. And now you have mm. a family as mm-hmm. well, which, yeah, yeah. which adds to the kind of... Yeah, I, I always remember I went and did a really exciting World Cup over in Brazil. And my wife was pregnant and I came back with this great kind of full of enthusiasm and vigour and I wanted to really be more creative. I was always like a creative... I always worked in the creative side of television and I wanted to come back and go, right, now I'm going to take on the world. And what I didn't fully ever appreciate was, I thought I would, but you don't, was what kids would do to you. The little baby was there and I could, like, with respect to the people I was working for and myself, I couldn't give a monkey's about work for the first year he was born. I went in, did it, got home as fast as I could. Yeah. And I didn't even do it consciously. I wasn't trying to be like super dad. Oh yeah, my family comes first now. I just had to be there. Yeah, wanted to be yeah, there. Something yeah. in me wanted to get home, yeah. and um, I think there was probably another driving factor of me transitioning over to doing my own business was I needed to care more. Um, I was kind of maybe in a rut, and I took easy jobs that paid all right because I was like, well, why why do a twelve hour day when I can do an eight hour day for the same money? Because I've got family now, and that never really computed for me before. I always was very. Um, proud of what how I worked and my work ethic and and not kind of kind of chipping off as soon as it, the clock strikes home time, but something in me subconsciously was I need to be at home a bit more, um, so and so that and yeah. you get a bit more smarter working yeah and because your time your time is just so mm-hmm. so stretched yeah well. I mean it, I've never again I thought I knew how it would play out having kids but no no emotionally it hit me so much more and. Yeah, in terms of my, my working life, I just yeah, never, never understood how much you've just got to be there. Just being there is enough. Everything else is an extra, but being there is so important to take the strain off feeding a nappy change, like or just talking to each other for ten minutes each day. Yeah, and I, I knew it would be tough, but I had no idea. Yeah, so. Where where you are today is you've got mm-hmm. your two your two places yeah. in Penge and mm-hmm. Bristol and it does have a really good following. I know the Penge yeah, you've yeah. got um, everyone's popping in there and you've got yeah. running clubs that end up yeah. there and and it's a it is a it is a little hub and yeah. a little community. So yeah. it, I'm very yeah. proud of that. It's, I think it's the greatest achievement of the business. Yeah, is that only on Tuesday. Um, one of the lads that goes to the running club was in there a bit drunk and I'd just been out with my wife for our ten year anniversary. And I'd put on the running group, um, sorry I can't make it tonight, uh, I've got our anniversary, you hope you understand, of course, as a joke. And we rolled back in there at kind of half nine, after having a lovely meal out, and um, they were all still there from the running club, drunk as skunks, 
and hugging my wife and she had no idea because she isn't in the running club group and she's like why are all these sweaty men kind of hugging me and saying congratulations she had no idea I told them and at the end of the night one of the guys went thanks so much for putting this here and it's definitely the, the my proudest achievement is people don't use pubs around here like the, they used to a pub used to be a hub it used to be a place of community it used to be a place where people meet and a social kind of hub. And that's kind of gone away a little bit now. The big corner pub, the community thing, just isn't a thing. It's gastro, you sit and have a meal, there's kids running around. All those things are acceptable and good, and I enjoy them myself, but there's no real pub pub anymore. Certainly not around here or that I know of that has that buzz of, like, you're locals, you're all friendly, you chat, you see the same faces, you see new faces. And I love the fact that our little Penge bar is that. And it's got this brilliant mix of characters. And we have so many complimentary comments about, thanks, man, it's so cool. It's, it's just a little cute little bar and people love it. And I'm really, really chuffed with what we've created. Yeah, and going from sort of online, which is all mm. about... Well, I guess, uh, is there an element of quite a... Um, enriching your life in terms of talking to suppliers I mean do you do yeah and customers you know it isn't a faceless thing you have to be and our our mailer that goes out every week that's going out in 20 minutes is very very much built around being a friendly voice and where you position yourself is that we want to be genuine like hi I like beer I'm Ollie I run it it's not some guy in marketing spinning a load of stuff that he doesn't know about it's me and that side of it's very hard to convey, uh, but we do try with our social posts and our tone. But that, again, I think comes from being a good, honest, small business. I think it's very important to be like that. I think that's how we've always run that side of it and hope that people kind of connect with that. And, and it's not just a faceless website, but it's a lot harder. Yeah, it's a lot harder to say to someone online, I'm really sorry, do you mind? Yeah. Um, whereas you can in person, which is a different challenge, but again, one yeah. you've got to deal with. I, I, the other thing I think about with high street properties is the unwanted visitors you might get in. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. from a security angle, how do you kind of manage that? Really, really fortunate. When we started, uh, there were a um, few learning curves and it's changed really quickly. We had a few problematic people um but i think um, the I, I don't know it just seems to have gone away right. i think the more established you get i think they don't bother you <laughs> well, yeah we had a few people coming in that were clearly scoping the joint out and um they kind of were like well you know i don't know it was yeah it's, it's always unnerving yeah and you always got to think of the safety of yourself and your staff but touch wood we never really had more than a few problems had a strange chap in the other day I just had to kind of run him up and say excuse me mate would you mind leaving and you just got to hope that it's fine it's something that people don't think about but you've got to deal with yeah yeah and it can be quite daunting and and I suppose serving alcohol as well mm-hmm. there's a whole yeah. raft of things you need to do I, I, I don't want to sound I don't there's no real way of saying this but the, the clientele that we get and the the kind of product that we have means that we have a really good and understanding um, customer base. Yeah. No one rolls in off the street looking for a cheap booze up. Yeah. Because that's not what we can supply. Yeah, yeah. So we don't seem to have that that issue. And um, well, the one thing that was really important with Penge, without sounding like some kind of beer crusader or kind of 
patronizing. I hope it doesn't come across that way. Is that Penge is, and it was when we set up what what it is. You know, we are not in Hackney or Clapham, and the whole idea with starting something it was that we want to educate people and help people on a journey that I've been on if they're interested yeah. if not that's fine yeah it's not for everyone yeah the prices the beer the taste the ambience it's not for everyone fine but what we wanted to do with with it was that if someone did want to f- find out more about beer styles hops and the process then this was the place for them and we didn't want to be in any way kind of dismissive or elitist about it we were like look we're just honest and we like what we do i think you'll like it too if you don't that's fine um but if you're up for like a a kind of non-patronizing journey hopefully we can like have a chat about why this is made and we'll try and pass on and again i go back to what i said very early on it's it's like a bit of a a hobby and people do come in there's a there's a local comes in most days with his dog and his and his partner And, and he came in very early and said i like neck oil yeah. which is owned by Heineken now and a Beaver Town product. We said, well, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. And that's the kind of thing we wanted to have. Um, you know, a, a non-kind of um, uh, elitist like approach to it. We don't want to be like, this isn't for everyone. Um, and we said, well, well, try this then. Uh, and now he comes in most days or every other day to try the latest kind of hoppy beer because he's into it. And that's the kind of journey we wanted to be able to take people on if we could yeah um a, one where people could start discovering beer get into it and on top of that create not just someone that's into beer but someone that's going to be a regular and someone that's going to really enjoy the space and he loves it it's his little kind of like local yeah and that's what we've done multiple times with different it, people it does seem like that mm. you sort of see the face, same faces and and mm. then also it's great well for me it's when i mm. when i get my gifts for yeah yeah various yeah. Male, yeah. males in my yeah, family yeah. but could we are we okay to pause just yeah. really quickly yeah, because let's pause. I don't know if that is like a really important Impossible. I'm yeah, outside and I can't yeah yeah do it go for it can't deliver hello mate I just had a missed call from you hello mate I'm not mate I'm just doing an interview I'll probably be there in about 45 minutes are you okay are you there now ah. could you um could you leave it with the block fit guys and just tell them I'll be in at half ten probably, the latest. And please do explain to them I won't be long and I'll come and grab that stuff now. Thank you, mate. Sorry about that. Cheers, dude. All right. All right. Bye, bye, bye. Sorry. No, I can understand it. See, this is what happens. <laughs> right. A little interlude as yeah, uh, Ollie yeah. takes some uh, calls during the day, but standard practice. <laughs> standard practice. Well, uh, anyway, we, well, mm. what, what, what do you sort of? How do you see things sort of panning out? Well, what were your hopes? And and, and, and mm. my main question mm. I do ask is, looking back at your life before Craft Metropolis, mm. was it all worth it? Can you say that right now? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, firstly. The hopes are we have this wonderful space. It's very different in Brixton. It's a big, damp, gloomy, moody arch. Uh, and it's just starting a, a year and a half in. It's just starting to flourish. Uh, and it's starting to become its own place. It's never going to be the social hub and the local that um, penges, But it has this wonderful you know, kind of ability to host events uh, and and to fit more people in. And it really has its own place in what we do. It's a very different offering. 
and it is a warehouse as well so it is you know it has multiple uses that like i say is just starting to you know break even or pay itself back and my hopes are the next year are to get through this but that's continue to build and host more parties and be a better space yeah uh, and should that even get close to the appeal and of pension we've done a good job yeah. and i'm hoping that can only go upwards so that is my only big, if I could pray to the, the beer gods or the business gods, it would be for that to hurry up. Yeah. Um, uh, and, that, and, and for Pench to continue being a little kind of shining jewel in the crown that it is, because it's really brilliant. I really love it there. Um, and then, yeah, was it worth it? I, I find it really, really hard to have a day off and I'm not... Hey, um, I'm not a workaholic. I'm not, You're hey, not a workaholic. That's, I, int- that's interesting. I'm not. Yeah. I don't. It's been forced upon me. Yeah. I have to be a workaholic. Yeah. I've got no option. If I don't, it doesn't get done. If I don't, it fails. Yeah. I have to do it. Yeah. I, I, I like sitting on my ass doing nothing, but I can't. I just can't. Um. So, you know, that I'd, I'd like to work less. <laughs> um. But has it been worth it? I I can't say. It, it hasn't it's been like I say it, it's been so testing um, but it is my hobby and I can't imagine me doing anything else so it's, it would be yeah, of course it's been worth it I just I, I just want it to be in a place where it's small wins are fine big wins might not come along too often but they come along but I'd like to remove the kind of doubt and the, I'd like to just get to a place where I'm not sweating on the next next week's pay run or paying an invoice which is, is a real pressure and I think it's got the, the the potential to be a nice sufficient business and sometimes it, one week you have a bad week and you're you're in it you're in you're in the you're in the in a bad place um so I'd really like it to I don't I don't want to be a millionaire I mean I'd like to be but I, I don't think I will be but I, I'd like to be in a place where it's more comfortable than it is now and I just feel like I've been dealt a lot of bad hands back to back, and that's not me making excuses. I just I, think I, it's, I think that's the mm. the world as it is at the moment, yeah. isn't it? And and here's to you know riding out for mm. like another couple of years and and then hopefully. So that's yeah. I mean, it's really basic. Um, I'd like to be able to pay myself a better wage. I'd like to feel a little bit more comfortable. I'd like to be able to grow the business, but. All those things are dependent on outside factors, and just hope we can be able to get to that place where I'm not the stress levels of that are removed. That's the only thing I'd love. Well, thank you very much, Ollie. Cheers. No, it's been a real pleasure. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for having me.